Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. Hey, this is Nadia, currently quarantining with Alia in DC. Yeah. And we are super excited to be talking to two amazing people from an organization called Al Kaos, and I will let them introduce themselves. <laughs> Hi, Alia and Nadia. Uh, so my name is Hanin Maiki. Um, I'm currently quarantining from Jerusalem, uh, Palestine, and I'm a queer uh, activist uh, for the last like two decades and part of an amazing uh, community organization called Al Qaus for Sexual and Gender Diversity in Palestinian Society. And my name is Izzy Mustafa, uh, and I'm current, currently quarantining in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and I am a trans man, uh, Palestinian Alkaus activist. Uh, I have been involved in the work for a couple of years. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much both for joining us today. Can one of you or both of you uh, describe what Alkaus does? Alkaus is uh, Alkaus for Sexual and Gender Diversity is a queer feminist anti-colonial uh, organization that believes and invests in building communities, queer communities around Palestine to give space for queer people to, you know, to expand the possibilities of like living inside Palestine and like resist patriarchal, colonial and capitalist kind of uh, oppressions on queer bodies in, in Palestine. Uh, we also work as a grassroots uh, movement on different like initiatives of advocacy and engagement of uh, with society and, and with different parts of of Palestinian societies, uh, therapists, teachers, uh, artists, musicians, uh, civil society organization. We have been around since 2001, and as uh, in this like kind of a format since 2000, uh, late 2007. I would love to think about Al Qaus as a political queer organization and not an LGBT, you know, gay rights uh, organization. So we are not in a way representing the LGBT communities around Palestine but we are bringing in uh, people who believe um, that sexuality intersect with and patriarchy with colonialism and could really talk about the um, uh, economic aspects of living in this like place on earth and really through kind of a dynamic process and dialogue uh, we develop initiatives that really speaks to the local context so we are very palestinian organization we speak we believe that the different complexities here it's what we uh, need to engage with one last thing al-qaus what is unique about al-qaus is that we work and operate and exist in different parts of Palestine and for you not familiar with the Palestinian uh, context, Palestine is as a colonized place is also fragmented uh, geographically. Uh, there are like different Palestinian groups living under different uh, colonial kind of uh, uh, situation. So Al-Qaus is one of the few organization and civil society movements that work in different parts despite colonial borders and checkpoints. Uh, which we believe is just a way of living our anti-colonial kind of uh, dream, living the Palestine mm -hmm. we dream, the free Palestine we uh, dream. We also, in that sense, not only bring Palestinians who could never meet, right, before, mm -hmm. but also like um, this space allow us to talk about our queer uh, life while also exploring the Palestinian identity and our relationship to this like uh, place. 
I don't know if Aiz, you wanna like add from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, Alkaos is an organization that has been very, from my perspective as a Palestinian uh, living in the U.S., who was familiar with the work when I first came out as a queer, a young queer, trying to figure out my identity, reconciling between Palestinian and queer, and what does that mean? And, and I came across Alkaos, and and really Alkaos has been a political home for Palestinians, for many young Palestinians within uh, the colonial borders of Palestine. Um, but also, I would say, uh, has been really a political home in a sense for Palestinians in in the diaspora, particularly I'm speaking from the U.S., uh, for, for folks who really needed a space to really, or, or a platform or a way to reconcile being both Palestinian and queer. And I, and I know that we're going to be speaking about that a little bit more uh, with this interview. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's um, great to hear it from your personal perspective of how you kind of found that avenue to connect to Palestine from a queer lens from the diaspora. Um, yeah, we definitely did want to focus a bit on the relationships between al and its outward-facing work and its yeah. connection to the Palestinian diaspora, particularly because, um, like, this is an English episode, and yeah. we've also been, like, thinking a lot about um, what content is most, like, useful to give to what audiences and what kind yeah. of narratives we're making. Um, yeah, just for the listeners, we, we spoke to Adam, who will be hosting an Arabic episode with Hanin and Omar, and and they're, they're going to be talking about different things um, aimed more toward an Arabic-speaking audience. So if anyone knows Arabic, check uh, that, check out, that out. Um, yeah, check that one out as well. I did want to um, kind of focus in on one thing you said, Hanin, about it being um, like a political queer organization versus like an LGBT rights organization yeah. and how you see that difference. Like from my perspective, maybe like an LGBT rights organization is more focused on like assimilating into whatever political structure exists, which is like not necessarily an option for Palestinians. Yeah. <laughs> right. If you if you wanna do with do it with like the colonial system, you can, right? But that's exactly uh, the point, like how you uh, start creating a, a movement while really understanding your context, right? Mm-hmm. And in Al-Qaus was um, created in the middle of the Second Intifada, mm-hmm. right? So reality, yeah. and I think it's um, in a way a really privilege to be given this as a young queer, back then young, not anymore, young queer uh, activists who are trying to figure out their own like sexuality yeah. and asking themselves questions around how we could be relevant while doing that, right? Relevant to queer people, relevant to Palestine, that we want to be part in, uh, of building it, uh, free Palestine, right? And uh, one thing was really uh, clear from also, you know, going down from a meeting to the street and being arrested by soldiers or having our friends suddenly from Ramallah who couldn't come to Jerusalem, all of these like aspects and the violence of like the second intifada. So the question of like how you are going to discuss your queer lives in this context was a major question. And one of the things we we started to uh, talk about is like the importance of not isolating uh, queer organizing from the colonial context of Palestine. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's impossible to be a denial, right? And and uh, and in a way, 
talking about your only sexuality, it sounded back then, and 20 years later, it still sounds ridiculous, right? And like no our, one is like, just their sexuality, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and also our sexuality has been uh, shaped by this like context, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you want to isolate it, it's been already shaped by also this dynamic, colonial dynamic and like the social dynamic inside Palestine and the dialect between them, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about yourself as a subject outside this like dialect and this dynamic is just like um, an illusion that we want to be like from the beginning, we, it was really important for us to be relevant, local, right? And really integrated with the, uh, with the Palestinian struggle, not uh, so Palestinian uh, activists would like accept us, right? That was not mm -hmm. like the, that was not a tactic. That was like a way of living, how to be a feminist, queer and Palestinian here and what kind of values, uh, frameworks and initiatives you could build that could really answer these three major things so this is like how it began of course like uh, and maybe we can um link it back to pink washing later and all of this totally but trying like centering the political question inside the organizing was uh, i think still the biggest accomplishment for al Qaus and the queer movement in palestine so for instance if we are talking to queers now who's living in the in the us so you have this like a difference between uh liberal lgbt groups gay rights groups the mm -hmm. radical color right so in palestine what was really uh unique is this radical kind of a intersectional anti-colonial kind of a movement is the mainstream in palestine right and i think it just like shows how uh us centric kind of a definition of like queer movements and different politics mm -hmm. in different like contexts it's irrelevant because these kind of uh, what mm -hmm. is considered radical in other places is the mainstream here and i think it's the biggest accomplishment of the queer movement the political question inside these movements are like the mainstream and if you are not you are not relevant in a way right <laughs> sounds arrogant maybe but no, i love it no but i think it's true it's true i think yeah. you're speaking to the reality yeah i i love how you put that here, for example, here, maybe the work would be considered, ooh, that's so different, so edgy. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I want to say that. It's just like really how queer uh, movement built itself here. And also a lot of like, you know, mutual learning from other movements, like the feminist or like human rights movement or like the queer in Palestine. Uh, so I think it's really major and really profound as a, as a, as a statement, as, a, as the main value that yeah. like, guide you through these like really complex times where you're uh, you face violence as queer in Palestine right it's not a, yeah. a fun ride being uh, political uh, because you face uh, in my eyes like three different structures that like in inside it you need to manage your organizing one is like the the social context of Palestinian society being having a taboo around sexuality right or mm -hmm. like um, yeah. um, uh, in denial about having different like uh, sexualities in inside our society and there is the um, Western LGBT uh, rights-based kind of single issue thing, right? Like that tells you or tell any queer young person how you need to express your sexuality, right? You mm -hmm. need to come out, you need to feel homophobia. And it's like, it's very kind of hegemony of like organizing and like approach and a discourse, right? 
And there is also the Israeli uh, Zionist colonial uh, entity, right? That's not only oppressing Palestine by colonizing and taking, uh, demolishing houses and putting young people in like prison and the horrible kind of ways of uh, Israel is like oppressing uh, Palestinian, but also the use of sexuality in order to promote itself as a normal kind of state, right? Mm -hmm. So Al-Qaus is basically organizing inside these three kind of powers. And I think in this episode, we, me and I wanted to focus more about the pinkwashing and the Israeli kind of uh, tactic using sexuality and queer bodies, but also linking it to the social Palestinian like aspect and also the hegemony of like uh, Western LGBT organizing. I don't know as if you want to give like some kind of jump into like broad definition of pinkwashing and then we can maybe expand on this. Yeah, so pinkwashing um, in the context of LGBT rights in general is like used to describe a variety of like different marketing and political strategies aimed at promoting like, you know, products, countries, people like the, for instance, the NYPD marching at pride even though they are they are violent towards queer people on a daily basis and and the same goes for how we use it in the context of palestine and in the mainstream the mainstream definition uh, that was created is a propaganda tactic used by israel to falsely portray the country israel as progressive while presenting the Palestinian, Arab, and Muslim societies as backwards and, and intolerant. And they are actually doing a direct PR strategy called, it's part of this brand Israel tactic that they've been using for years now, uh, where they say, hey, listen, we support the queers. We have the biggest, uh, we have the biggest pride in Tel Aviv and all of the Middle East. And we, you know, and they, and they try to use that to divert uh, their human rights abuses and crimes against uh, Palestinians. And for us as as Palestinian queers, and, and Hanin will go into it a bit more, you know, this definition needs to be a little bit more expansive, we believe. And yeah, Hanin, I mean, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I think it's, we all been involved in anti-pinkwashing activism for at least now 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. And I think what uh, Aiz is referring to is just like how, and, and we could talk about the nature of the beginning of uh, working on anti-pinkwashing uh, globally and, and locally. But from, as a, as, a, as a local organization, we always like felt that the framework of propaganda was like not enough accurate to describe the um, colonial nature of pinkwashing and uh, the impact on on queer folks in Palestine, right? Because we keep talking about like pinkwashing as, uh, as I said, like a propaganda in the um, anti-pinkwashing uh, activism. We always approached kind of a queers living in North America or Europe or um, Brazil sometimes, right? Asking them not to come and not participate in this uh, um, uh, propaganda uh, thing. But Al-Qaus started to see how pinkwashing has an impact here, right? And we started to ask ourselves how it plays. And it was really interesting to make the, um, the move to talking really about the colonial uh, violence in, in, inside pinkwashing. So for instance, right, so it would tell um, uh, our friends in New York to come to Gay Pride in Tel Aviv, right? 
Mm-hmm. It tells right. something, and, and that Israel, and that Israel is um, uh, amazing place. Tel Aviv has a sandy beaches and hot guys, right? And we could talk about all of the horrible capitalist, sexualized, uh, racist kind of what kind of bodies are like considered like hot and all of this. But that's too different. Like that's uh, for uh, three episodes. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> And, so uh, and that says a lot about uh, these queer communities, right? But it says something different, and I think more uh, uh, important to queer Palestinians. It says basically that inside your com- inside Palestine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the dynamic that we've been used to—that there is a colonizer and colonized, right? Once it's about sexuality and about queerness, there is no colonized uh, colonizer. There is like the um, hero who's saving the victim, who's like mm. Palestinian, right? Yep. So that is the, that is where diverting at, like the uh, nature from, right? A colonial relationship to just like two queers who are trying to help each other. That's one. Second, it's basically saying your society, your friends will never accept you, right? Because we all suffer from this like horrible disease called homophobia that ha- we have no cure to it, right? <laughs> so the only, the only, the only, the only place that you could exist as queers is outside your society, right? So it's basically pushing a lot of queer Palestinian, especially youth, right, to really mm-hmm. remove themselves, even if it's just like psychologically or like emotionally from their society, even if they cannot remove themselves physically, right? And they're doing that by really tactically saying a specific narrative. In the narrative of pinkwashing, if you notice, and you could do the research, there is no Palestinian queer movement. There is no Mm -hmm. Al-Qaus, there is no Aswat, there is no queer uh, individual activists, there is no uh, progress, right, for 20 years. There's still 20 years, uh, 10 years ago, uh, the same thing uh, we have been saying that the pink washing narrative have been saying about Palestine, right? So this erasing progressive kind of movements inside Palestine, it's basically serving the narrative that we don't have any any hope, right? Yeah, so we need some savior to step in, right? Yeah. yeah, and we started to see a lot of like queer youth struggling with this like uh, idea of like, oh, I'm a victim because the, and let's be honest, queer. Palestinians are oppressed inside their society, right? Mm-hmm. We believe that we should work inside society to do that. But um, imagine a queer youth who've been like really suffering from their family, right? Or like bullied in school. And that is their like central experience, right? And you could have LGBT Israeli organization doing actually outreach, right? To convince you to come to a hostel in Tel Aviv. Right? So it's building also the myth that Palestinians, like it's create this split because for this queer person, he's not Palestinian anymore. He's just only queer, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a fantasy and a myth that started to be built. That first of all, that this mm. uh, guy could actually go from a Palestinian city in the West Bank or Gaza to Israel, which is Im- almost impossible. Of course, it's possible legally or illegally we will talk about it like if you want yeah. it's just like impossible because there is like hundreds of laws and checkpoints that prevents you from doing that right and the second thing it's just like really it this split really gets to a place that is internalized right mm-hmm. and this is how you create what al-qaus is basically doing 
why it's anti-pinkwashing and anti-colonial, because it's always bring people inside and saying, no, we are going to discuss all of our life together, being Palestinian and colonized, being queer and oppressed, being uh, poor, being a working class, being a woman, being trans, right? All of this is together. And pinkwashing is saying, no, 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 no. You can either be queer, right, and a victim, mm -hmm. uh, or otherwise you don't exist. And if you want to consider both of them as relevant, no, it's only, as my, fr my dear friend explained this, it's like the myth is like there is uh, pink doors in the apartheid world, right? That allows queer to just like pass secretly. And I think it's an amazing metaphor because it's just like an image because it's actually really capture uh, this ridiculous kind of a, a, a myth people are like building. So, what Al-Qaus did in the last five years is building up on like this uh, propaganda analysis, right? And mm -hmm. the impact is uh, that is doing on like queer communities in North America, Europe, and other places, right? And expanding it to include what the actual uh, impact on queer Palestinians, right? And and we think centering queer voices and queer experience in in the pinkwashing narrative and the anti-pinkwashing like strategies is crucial to continue developing our resistance to this like uh, narrative. Wow, the, the pink doors image, like that's really powerful, um, especially tying back to what you said about the literal hostel that was trying to draw people away. That's yeah, like 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 temp like, in a very like, temporary sense, like, like here, sure, we'll it's open true. open the door for you. Yeah, like, but is that gonna work out long-term? Right. Like, yeah. no, you're just selling this kid this myth idea yeah. that this is liberation when it's, not it's the opposite yeah wow um yeah thanks for explaining i guess the extension of pinkwashing to within palestinian society because i think like i for instance mostly think about it as like external propaganda getting like queer people globally to have this idea That's of usually what we um, hear israel but um uh, on this end yeah and not necessarily the i don't know if like, I don't want to call it grassroots because that sounds good, but whatever the <laughs> um, pro like propagandistic equivalent of grassroots is. Yeah, it's really good to hear that perspective. That's not something we generally hear on, on this end. Yes, and and you know, it's something that we, we have been grappling with, even as Palestinian queers uh, in the U.S. who are connected to the work in Palestine, is exactly this. Like, I grew up uh, doing my organizing uh, with like organizations like Students for Justice in Palestine. Mm -hmm. I, when I came out as queer in college, I was constantly trying to figure out, okay, how can I uh, do my activism around Palestine while also doing my activism around queer issues? And and that's when, uh, it was back when pinkwashing really started, anti-pinkwashing work really started ramping up. And it was, you know, a lot of allies, queer allies, defining what anti-pinkwashing is through the lens of propaganda and through the lens mm -hmm. of brand Israel. And for me, I was like, okay, so like I could do a campaign around pinkwashing, but it kind of was framed as a way of like a single issue. Like mm -hmm. this is this is an issue you can take on along with boycott, divestment and sanctions, along with uh, another camp, like educational campaign, uh, talking about the apartheid wall and uh, talking about restriction of movement. But as I, you know, it was, it was really hard to grapple with. And I think, you know, this is, uh, something that we need 
in the US. And, and I think I'm, I'm starting to see a shift because now I would say that when you go to a Students for Justice in Palestine conference, 60%, uh, 70% of the participants are young Palestinian Arab queers who are taking the lead and, and really pushing things. And, you know, pinkwashing, you know, Hanin was uh, talking about it in the context of, you know, within the colonial borders of Palestine and, and what young Palestinians face there. And, and it's interesting because, you know, in my experience of, of being a passing trans man uh, who has a beard, who my name is Ezza Dean, it's funny because I started really, it wasn't until I started my transitioning that I started realizing pinkwashing is not a single issue because I also face as an individual, these other structures of mm -hmm. oppression, right? Mm -hmm. I suffer under capitalism. Uh, when I go back home to visit Palestine, I'm interrogated and the first thing the Israelis ID identify me as is a Muslim radical person because of my name and because of my beard. Um, mm. I, you know, I suffer under, you know, forms of racism uh, with the Israelis when I go through checkpoints. And, and there's all of these, and, and I'm a queer trans person, right? And so it's it's all of these, like we, we have to think about pinkwashing and anti-pinkwashing work uh, through a lens of that all of these are connected, colonialism, patriarchy, capitalism, and, and really thinking about how we shift our work uh, here in the US and, and when thinking about campaigning around anti-pinkwashing, really centering uh, the colonial violence that Palestinian queers face on a daily basis and and centering us in, in the way of, you know, when we do anti-pinkwashing campaigns, how do we explain to folks about the violence that we face and how it connects to the propaganda machines that Hanin was describing? Or, you know, how does it connect to this saviorism as well? And how, and how do some queer allies, uh, predominantly white queer allies, perpetuate it, with, even within our circles. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's like, a, it's a good lens uh, that maybe like it's, you know, I, I'm saying this, you know, for, for queers who are listening to this podcast, young Arab Palestinian queers to really start thinking about, you know, now we're really starting to take our agency. And, and I'm seeing it in such amazing, beautiful ways through these artist collectives, through uh, these, intentional community gatherings and how do we how do we use this uh this power that we have uh, within our communities to really start shifting towards redefining what anti-pinkwashing work is um especially here in the diaspora yeah uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about um what that anti-pinkwashing work for you has looked like in the u.s i've been very privileged in the sense that i have a direct connection to palestine and i've been working with al Kaos and and me and hanin have been really uh sitting together and wondering okay how can we really create this bridge because even though our experiences are different d depending on geolocation um you know, one of the biggest issues that Palestinians all over the world face is fragmentation. And that isn't, you know, anything different for Palestinian queers as well. And so how do we how do we work towards, you know, figuring out a way to maybe mend that fragmentation a little bit, you know, like mend it in a way like we're not going to fully mend it, of course, but how do we how do we <laughs> bridge work gaps? Towards yeah, yeah. How do we bridge gaps? And so, you know, one initiative that uh, we started um, was creating a fellowship uh, for 
uh, a young Palestinian queer every year. Uh, you know, this is our first or our second year of doing it uh, from the U.S. to go to Palestine and work with Alcals for three summer for three months and mm. meet and build relationships within the community over there, but also work towards building a network or, or a network that the, that young queer can come back to the U.S. and and really builds an intentional kind of community that will then bridge continue the channel like opening the channel between uh the work that the amazing political work that is being done in palestine and hopefully creating bridging that political work here in the u.s um so we're in the beginning processes of of that but we're hoping that it's uh we're hoping that it, it really creates something beautiful and something powerful and and really politically principled which is you know i think the the three tenets that we're we're trying to really focus on and i don't know honey do you want to add anything to that only just like that we love this fellowship and we really believe that taking anti-pink washing back to its grassroots place it's what we should do and what al Qaus and the queer movement in palestine is in a way blessed to have as like an expertise right like doing grassroots work and it's more uh, in our eyes, like more uh, genuine and more like sustainable. Mm -hmm. And maybe I would just like, I go back like one step and just say in a in a political, I think what, what I is, is tried to uh, explain like the proactive kind of decision of like how we are gonna build the, an, the next anti-pinkwashing phase, right? Mm -hmm. By centering it back to, right, the colonial uh, violence to grassroots queer Palestinians and Arab living uh, outside Palestine as like the main hub these like initiatives should take place. But like one last thing maybe about like how we uh, look to the to the future, if if we go back to the the pinkwashing narrative, right? It's it relies on like queer Palestinian thinking or experiencing violence in their society, right? And their like desire to flee, right? But it's what is like what we miss uh, is like what that what the pinkwashing narrative relying on while doing propaganda in uh, places like uh, the U.S., right? It's relying on uh, that queer groups, queer individuals, specifically gay men, white, middle class, right? That it relies on some notions that is why pinkwashing would work, right? It will work only if you are racist, Islamophobic, in a way homophobic, and a capitalist, right? And I think uh, recentering anti-pinkwashing in movements that really works to fight these things, people of color, queer people of color, uh, Arab uh, queers, Palestinian queers, uh, anti-racism, uh, anti-capitalist uh, movement that really work on against Islamophobia, right? Once we expand or add pinkwashing as another like lens to these movements, we think it's gonna be more like integrated inside the uh, movement building that amazing people are doing all around it, instead of just taking it as something uh, exceptional and, and unique. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, it will, in a way, really link it to where it should be, anti-colonial, anti-racism, and uh, anti-capitalist, right? And without these three uh, uh, things, no anti-pinkwashing initiative uh, would be successful or impactful. Yeah, like thinking about it as a, a lens rather than just an isolated unit to work right. on. 
a it's a lens to broader. all these other broader issues and yeah. it's where some of them intersect um but it's not you can't just work on pink washing right, and, just, and like, just fix that okay we're gonna talk for <laughs> um, an hour today about pink washing and then forget about it the rest of our um, um during our activism. I think it's also really cool to hear about the fellowship and how that directly links to what you were saying about a certain pinkwashing narrative of queer Palestinians must want to flee or they must want to disconnect from their communities and from their cultures and how Mm -hmm. this kind of flies in the face of that of like, no, here are some queer Palestinians in diaspora who are doing things to connect and return to Palestine and plug into their communities. Yeah, Toward the beginning of the existence of this podcast actually we talked to organizers of queer arabs um halifax and it's run by a queer palestinian woman and they talked about how they had to boycott the halifax uh, pride because i don't remember specifics but there was like some pro-israel propaganda going on in that context and it was yeah and it was just an example of this is a global issue and people are bringing it to the it just it looks different in different contexts it, it does but it, yeah it's interconnected but it's relevant yeah but i think that's relevant a, every, that's everywhere good. yeah yeah i think it's a good example all of the initiatives that uh, as you started also to talk about it about anti-pride right mm-hmm. and yeah. and you could see groups in new york and other places saying uh we are against israeli propaganda and pride we are against uh selling pride and our uh to corporates right um and you could see all of these like things together and i think this is yeah. the way to go and i really uh, see it uh in in different like places and i also see a lot of like a lot of these activists like also were involved in anti-pink washing for years and i think we are privileged now to see uh, how these things are connected and how like different activists from different places are like bringing it together rather than announcing about themselves that they are anti-pinkwashing activists, which is a, a new fake uh, identity that only, and it only survived for four years, right? Uh, and the only way to go about it next is really take it back to our communities, link it to our like uh, analysis framework, uh, politics values, and really try to think about like how we are gonna resist also Zionism, uh, Jewish supremacy, yeah. and uh, anti-pinkwashing narrative on queer bodies and uh, and also expanding it to other aspects of uh, Palestine, right? We are using the queer movement here to talk about uh, an example uh, like pinkwashing, right? But you could see this stra- strategy working uh, on different aspects uh, of inter- on inter- like using international propaganda or uh, a violence on like a Palestinian bodies, different Palestinian bodies inside Palestine and outside Palestine. And I want to just say that uh, we love this like fellowship and uh, as you can like agree with me or not, we really, it was really amazing and in a way hard to see uh, when we published uh, last December about a lot like the questions that were raised in on our Instagram is about uh, I hold an ID card from the West Bank I cannot work in Jerusalem can I apply right and it was heartbreaking because this fellowship came to say uh, the fragmentation we are trying to resist inside Palestine right and now we move to uh, talk and have this like structured dialogue with like queer Palestinian communities uh, outside. And yet the first question is about colonialism, right? And the limitation is impacting. And for me, uh, it was really late at night and I was like, I felt it was a big slap. And I replied immediately saying, doesn't matter, just apply. We will figure it out. 
And I felt like sorry that we mentioned even that the, the fellowship will be from Al Qaus uh, Jerusalem office mm -hmm. because it will exclude some uh, some people. But you could see like even if you are so aware and building this amazing political project and then you you fall right. There is a this like colonial like thing is so sneaky. Like it you is. always be yeah. alert, right? And really check yourself and listen to what, like, what kind of reaction any initiative you you do and what the, the colonial limitation uh, of it, uh, which is like was again fascinating to me and 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 also heartbreaking. Yeah, and just <laughs> I love this fellowship too. <laughs> just <laughs> I I think that it's a really amazing opportunity for young Palestinian queers to really connect and, and also to help build like a political education uh, that I, I have been fortunate to get. And I know that so many young Palestinians here in the US are really are really looking for it. They're looking for a political home. And I think that Alcaus provides that. And I also think that, yeah, like we, as Hanim said, like colonialism, it comes in different shapes and forms. And and it's like, how do we talk to each other? How do we speak to each other in a way that we can tackle these issues of one Palestinian queer in the US might think of, of Palestinian queers here, or, or Palestinian queer in the homeland thinks about Palestinian queers in the US, right? Another issue that I that I see quite often is, is the language issue. Um, a lot of us Palestinians in the US weren't really brought up with learning Arabic um, because of various issues, but a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the, the root issue is colonialism. And so, you know, how do we how do we have these conversations uh, that are these big picture conversations of uprooting, you know, the colonial projects and also these small conversations of, hey, why don't, why do you know only five words of Arabic, right? <laughs> and so I think that this is a really cool opportunity and I'm really, really excited to see it uh, sustain. Because uh, I think it'll be something that is, you know, a game changer in a lot of ways. Sounds amazing. This feels really linked to some conversations we've been having recently about this podcast and like rethinking what's its purpose and where do we want to go with it. Yeah. Um, and one of the main goals we've been bringing up is how we can bridge relationships between queer people in the region and the diaspora and how... Mm it doesn't have to involve saying like things are the same or like your experiences are even similar to understand how they can be linked and worth connecting um, right. and asking questions like how can we like mobilize diaspora movements to support like queer liberation in the, in the region mm -hmm. um, or like what how can these connections help people in the diaspora connect to their cultures regardless of their relationship to right. their biological families and also like the language thing yeah too. Um, um yeah how can we utilize the two languages in in a strategic way that's not even just like direct yeah. translating and having two languages which is sometimes an option but it's yeah. also sometimes about like considering which content is best for which language yeah. um which like hanin immediately you were like here, here's what we should talk about in each different language. And it was just, it, it yeah, it, like, it just like you made so that, much sense. Like thinking like, through these divides is so rooted in your practice already. Yeah. But because 
Because we really believe, you know, when you work uh, constantly to achieve some change or see some change or live some change, right? Right. And I and I always like in Al Kaus, we always say that in order to expect like some kind of uh, change, we should provide spaces, right? And yeah. these spaces should be uh, kind of as much as we can safe, uh, dynamic, diverse, right? But like for us, we should provide spaces for queer youth to come and explore their like uh, um, life, right? We should uh, provide space for society to talk about these things, right? And I see this like the really podcast as a space for uh, different act- activists to really build uh, this relationship and dialogue across the region and from the U.S., right? And have this like uh, mm-hmm. above kind of a, a above border kind of a perspective. And I'm a big believer in like really putting a lot of effort of maintaining and sustaining these amazing spaces. Uh, and all the time listening to what people need and adjust these spaces. And that is our role as an organization, right? Otherwise, it's just like, that is the infrastructure, that mm-hmm. is the structure we are like, we need to provide. So I really value these uh, these spaces. And, uh, and I think we all have a lot of conversation to have and explore, remembering what is important. And it's only from this like amazing dialogue. I think that's definitely one of our goals. Like this platform is a platform and it's a space and it's not a place where we come and insert our own ideas of what people should be talking about very directly, but it's about, um, and I think also like the long form podcast helps with that because a lot of media outlets, you know, they'll like squish your message into a tight a little, little statement um, yeah. and like despite all that we want to talk about like intersectionality and how everything else is linked sometimes word counts get you down to being exactly <laughs> one thing um, and, and, and that's kind of the opposite of what we want to do we want yeah. to create space for people to like express as much of their full reality as yeah. they want to and we're constantly rethinking like Nadia said we're rethinking like okay what direction do we want to go with this what with this podcast okay what it's it's constantly evolving and as anything I, should be yeah. as anything should be like you said Hanin, we're trying to listen to what people want yeah. and this like constant like juggling between the needs around us that we see and our dreams right and how these two are like in a constant conversation with each other you cannot build a dream without a real need and you cannot just like see the need and not like dream how to change it in order to make any difference right Uh, exactly yeah i have a related question um so before on the little check-in you started talking about um the role of art and cultural production in alcalce's work which for me seems very related to dreaming i think Mm -hmm. sometimes like art is the dream the dream aspect of activism where it's like let's imagine the world we want while also working on the ground to deal with the world we have um yeah, can you talk a little bit about uh, what's going on there and why you feel it's important? Uh, well, that, I will keep it short because we are okay. <laughs> running out of time. So cultural production in, inside al is using specifically music and comics uh, for now. It just started as an um, experimental kind of strategy that I have to be honest, 
I didn't like that. The idea was to use different uh, ways to express different experiences. That is not, and Alcaus was all, all, always uh, accused of being too academic, too radical, uh, difficult writing, you know, all of these like arguments. And I think it was a challenge for us to start talking about these experiences using these like tools that emphasize the emotions of it, right? Mm-hmm. And at least, and I will talk about Al-Qaus as, as any queer movement, we hold a lot of like trauma. And, and I think we bring this, of course, to our organizing and approaching our organizing from this kind of political approach helped Al-Qaus and its members to uh, move forward and explore the emotional and psychological impact of this like trauma and how we could talk about it. Uh, not only through political like language, right? And I think once we started to do music and and comics, something synced. You know, when your mind and heart mm-hmm. like really in a sync. This is how it's not separated, right? How emotions mm-hmm. and how you talk about it and how what you think it's all the same in a way. And the importance of really touching people's feeling and hearts and how it is like the most important political thing to do and and i think now we postpone it because of the situation but we are going to launch our third uh, season of our amazing uh, youth comic and it's going to be basically about feelings right we are gonna you know frame feelings name it and like really try to play uh, on this like aspect that often in a way, I don't know, dismissed or uh, considered not too political or mm-hmm. it's too personal or we do it, uh, you know, we attend a group meeting in Al-Khaus, but then as a friend with a beer, we could talk about our feelings, how you really bring this and center it. So that's our cultural production. And, and I think it's been really an interesting uh, thing. Maybe one last thing, you know, we've been doing these like cultural production as a as a social change kind of a project but the main people who like really engage with it are like queer youth which is like stunning to us like the amount of people who feel seen because there is a song about their experience mm-hmm. uh the amount of queer youth that feel uh heard because there is a character in our comic that is exactly their auntie said the same thing that their aunt said to him last mm-hmm. Ramadan, right? Mm-hmm. It's just these small, simple things that is like, uh, now we value and we center as like a major kind of uh, important, crucial uh, political tool. Well, we're Incredible. running out of time, but um, <laughs> wow. yeah, thank you guys both so much for joining us for this podcast. Yeah, this um, is so good. Um, where can people follow y'all? Yeah. <laughs> thank you for yeah. hosting us. Thank you. Uh, yeah, where can people follow you or how can they contact you? Uh, we are all over social media. We have Instagram, we have Facebook and Twitter. Uh, our alkaus.org, that's our, I don't know what's the term. I'm too old for social media. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll uh, link everything. Yeah, in yeah. yeah please link. Uh, we really now in these times, also we moved all of our like, because building relationship with communities and queer activists and queer uh, folks in Palestine, it's important. So now we are moving uh, most of our work also online. So we are super right. active on uh, social media and we would love to have you there. Awesome. Yeah. Are there any other ways people can support you, the organization right now, like other than following anything else you want to mention? 
I think uh, just I would love, of course, there's uh, the material things, but we will not uh, discuss it here. But I think if you listen to this podcast, like really go learn about the house uh, deeply, uh, read article about the analysis, really ask people about pinkwashing. I don't know, be aware to these like different, like violent kind of uh, aspects of like uh, queer uh, uh, lived experiences in, in, in Palestine. Contact us, share with us. Uh, hopefully you will have uh, some events in New York and other places. Hopefully. Um, hopefully there will be events at you all. Know, <laughs> you know. I mean, like we will stay in, in, in contact with these like uh, uh, communities. So I think this is like the, um, and maybe really help challenge uh, liberal like uh, discourse around like pinkwashing and sexuality and queers in Palestine by centering uh, al qaus uh, voices and like uh, analysis. Uh, I don't know if as you wanna add something about it to, specifically to the U.S. audience. But I think that's um, my major point. I would say for young Palestinian queers and Arab out of like. I would really take leadership of, of your own experience. And, and also when it comes to anti-pinkwashing work, really don't be afraid to center uh, yourselves and your community in, in the work. Um, I think that it's, it's vital. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, like, like I said, I, I see it, I'm seeing it more and more, um, but really like community is something to be cherished. And, and, you know, I think it's really exciting that these connections, whether through this podcast, whether through the Alcals Fellowship, mm-hmm. of of really bridging the diaspora with with our our community back in in the homelands that we come from, is something that is going to open a lot of opportunities in the sense of building relationships is is crucial to the work and the work towards liberation. And so I think that. Uh, we live in exciting times and I'm thank you for inviting us to the show. And I'm, I'm really happy that uh, we were able to talk about Alcaus with you all and hoping to build more uh, in the future. Thank you both. This was amazing. I feel really lucky to be connected with you both. Thank you for this opportunity and hope we can connect in different times and places to continue this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you all can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Queer Arabs, or reach out to us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. And our website is thequeerarabs.com, where you can find links uh, related to this episode. You can find all episodes on there. We are on most podcast apps as well. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs>